Hey everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony and Jackie joined by Andy Martinez and Bruce Levine. And Bruce, we talked, Andy and I talked about this a couple of days ago on the podcast, and this is a really good question that I know you've asked David Ross and asked Tom Ricketts. What do you make of this Cubs 2023 season? Was it a success? In your mind, what do you think? I think it was a huge success. And by that, I mean, I have to take the fandom out of this for me by saying everybody was disappointed as to the, the end of the year and the 7 for 14 for the last uh, 21 games. That was, uh, you know, it, it was sad. It was, uh, you know, a bad end to the season. But I don't think it takes away the, um, the joy and the... Um, the fun that all Cub fans had all year long. I just think uh, this was a likable team run by a likable manager, the likable president and general manager uh, with a group of guys that gelled together. And uh, even the players who were uh, left, who left the team and um, were released had positive things to say. There was no rancor or anything like that. So from my perspective, uh, I think it was a joyful year for Cub fans and something to build on. Yeah, no, I agree. That it was a lot of what I said. Um, I ultimately, I I agree with like Ricketts in the sense that like you don't make the playoffs, it's not successful. But I agree with what you're saying about like it being a fun year to watch. I think it was a fun year. I can speak for all of us to cover, right? Like you just hit on it, Bruce. Is like these were good guys in the clubhouse. They were good guys to talk to, good guys to interview, and it was a fun team to follow all season long. So. Um, in that regard, and then like you know, I asked um, you know about it too, like in just talking with like Jed Hoyer, and, like they set a new standard this year. Like they they developed a culture and a winning culture, and that's something that you hope and you figure will carry over to 2024 and beyond. And I think the the big takeaway to me too, and Bruce, I don't know if you all agree with me, but I think the big takeaway was whether or not you whoever like fan Jed Hoyer, Tom Ricketts, whoever wants to decide whether or not the season was successful. To me, that the big takeaway from Jed Hoyer speaking was that if this exact same thing happens next year, that is definitely not a success by any means. Well, yeah, I mean, again, projecting winning, you know, seasons uh, year after year is um, difficult to do. Nobody projected that I know of anybody saying, I mean, I think I said they could win 84, 85 games, you know, before the season started. But that's with me thinking that everything had to go right. Mm -hmm with the personnel that they had. And I think everything did go right for the personnel that they had. You know, they brought in a couple good pieces toward the end that helped a little bit. But from from my perspective, um, worrying about whether you're gonna be a 90 to 95 win team next year is, it's out of my hands as a reporter. Uh, As a fan, you hope that incrementally the minor league system continues to bring good players to the uh, to the team and that they're, they're better. Even if it's a uh, another 82-83 win season and you have more farm system guys, more pitchers from your system contributing, I think you can't just automatically say, you know, in advance of that, that that's not going to be a good year. No, I think that's a really good point too. And I think we, we definitely saw some uh, good developments this year. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later on, we're going to do our 2023 uh, awards season interview type of thing. We're going to talk about Rookie of the Year, some of the more impactful roster moves of the season. Um, but for right now, I mean, entering this offseason here, what, one of the biggest questions, arguably, in my opinion, the biggest question, 
is does Cody Bellinger come back? And I think that's one thing that fans want to know. It's a question that I've seen most often and I've heard most often from fans. So, Bruce, we'll start with you. You don't have to like make a prediction unless you're prepared to or not, but what do you make of this Cody Bellinger situation and how the Cubs may view this as to whether they're bringing him back or not? If it's a bidding war, they don't bring him back. Okay. So uh, will the Cubs offer a, what, a fair contract? What would be a fair contract to you guys? Six or seven years times... 27 or 28 million dollars yeah. yeah i mean most people who know the agent scott boros and realize that this player is maybe the second best offensive left-handed hitter that's going to be out there uh probably think that's not enough that said uh if you're an organization like the cubs or any other you have to have your limits you have to have your years and your money limits more importantly uh scott boros has always been known as a guy that takes his top free agents all the way to late January or early February. I don't know if the Cubs uh, have that kind of weight in them to see if they are they finish second there and then they have an empty spot at first, center, and uh, third or fourth in the lineup. I just think you have to make one of those, here's our offer, you need to let us know by, by this time or else we're moving on. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, like the timeline of it, because obviously in center field, like Pico Armstrong's there, now, I, I don't know if opening day would be somewhere he would be, whether Cody Bellinger is on the opening day roster or not. I, I still don't know if PCA is fully ready, uh, just based off of what we've seen. You know, offensively, he definitely seemed uh, behind the eight ball a little bit when he came up. But yeah, I mean, first base, there's depending on what they feel about Matt Mervis or whatever else, I don't know where they, if they feel like they have in house production. And then definitely in the middle of the order, I don't think that there's anybody internally that they can fill. And you're not going to want to sign somebody else with some other dead money on the book with like the Tucker Barnhart and Trey Mancini deals and stuff that are still be on the books next year. I don't know that you want to sign somebody else that figures to go in the middle of the order and then sign Cody Bellinger as well. And then you don't necessarily have playing time for everybody. Uh, either. I, would, I would ask you guys the same question. You know, where, where is your limit? What, what is your timeline? To me, I mean, I, I think you I'm, I'm very uh, of the mind that like, if you're all about supplementing this roster and improving the roster, I think it starts with bringing back Cody Bellinger, yeah. right? And I think you can't really supplement or, or build on this roster, as, as Jed Hoyer talked about, without bringing back Cody Bellinger. So I, I'm of the opinion, like, you, you kind of wait as long as you can. And obviously, I don't know if you, you go into the $300 million range, but, like, you, you, you have to be aggressive, in my opinion, to bring back Cody Bellinger. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that as well. Like, I think, Bruce, what your point is dead on is that if it's – a bidding war and there's some team and I mentioned this in the other podcast too like just like if the Giants for example they they've had issues signing stars and just in the last couple of off seasons if they feel desperation for some level or another team out there I mean the Yankees were rumored to be in on Bellinger too like I don't know exactly how that would work on either of these teams payrolls but if some team like that comes out and decides that they would be willing to go up to 280 or 300 million or nine or ten years on a deal for Bellinger I don't think the Cubs can compete with that I don't know that they necessarily should compete with that but I also agree with your point Andy is just like it's hard to look at the Cubs in 2024 and think this team is better or primed to take another step if Cody Bellinger's not in that line. The other thing that I wasn't enamored with and you guys were there over the weekend in Milwaukee was and Bellinger was terrific. I mean, he was terrific in the clubhouse, easy to deal with, great teammate. You know, MVP should be probably third or fourth in the National League this year. But he totally talked in the past tense about being in Chicago. He didn't, there was no rhetoric of, I'm hoping to come back. You know, my wife and I love it here. 
we, you know, this would be a priority. There was nothing like that. He was very uh, politically savvy about, mm -hmm. hey, this has been a great experience, teammates, you know, everybody was wonderful here. I, I didn't get the feeling that Chicago was going to be a priority. Maybe not. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, he did very much speak in past tense and just speak just about how much he loved this season. Uh, that also could be, like you said, too, the politics of it, just sure. making sure, you know, talking with Scott Boris and the rest of that team is like, don't take any team off of the table or don't even give the illusion that you might want to take any sort of hometown discount, which I think we all know he's not taking a hometown he, discount. Here's at the all reason why they can't wait. And I mean, can't wait be, by past and winter meetings. He's going to hold you up at first base. He's going to hold you up in center field. He's going to hold you up as a middle-of-the-order left-handed hitter. Yeah. Not just a, a, a hitter, but a power-hitting left-handed hitter. They're hard to come by. So those are three areas that how can you build around that necessarily if you don't know he's coming back or not? How do you know where to put your resources if you don't know if he's coming back or not? Well, I think the, the counter-argument, and I'm not saying this is a, totally what I agree with, but like, counter-argument is like you make space, right? Like maybe you do go and try to fill those holes, but if you can still get Bellinger back, like I think that creates like a quote-unquote good problem to have. Right. Maybe that's something that right. could but happen. But the revenue, you're going to have to spend sure, sure. there. Yeah. Right. So how much of that money of, of, of the president's uh, payroll can you spend on those peripheral things? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and still have 200-plus million left for this guy? Yeah, you, you don't know, and especially with... The, the way the, the salary situation is set up right now, it's, yeah. it, is, it is a valid question. Personally, I'd give him a, a, a deal right away. I'd say, here's what we're willing to do. We need to know by November 30th. If you're not, you know, we wish you well, and uh, we, we hope you take the offer. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Cubs fans would certainly hope that he would take the offer as well. He was one of the more... Uh, beloved players here that just you know from a one-year deal kind of guy like who isn't necessarily from the area or didn't come through the, through the system or whatever else like I can't remember a time that I feel like somebody won over fans quite as quickly or quite as uh severely I guess as Cody Bellinger did everybody was all in on him at Wrigleyville throughout the year um Switching gears a bit, I don't think fans have always been all in on David Ross as manager. I think all of us can see from our mentions on X or Twitter or just hearing from, from fans or whatever else, there's a lot of the discourse out there about David Ross from fans is, I think, quite a bit different than like what, well, it's definitely quite a bit different than what we've heard from players, from Jed Hoyer, from Tom Ricketts. And Bruce, I'll start with you. I mean, what do you make of uh, the difference or, uh, between what fans think and how they evaluate David Ross versus what the Cubs actually believe, and then just overall, like, what was your reaction to to Jed and Tom and all of these people believing fully? Like Tom Ricketts says, "This is our guy," and the players passionately backed him. Like, what do you kind of make of that uh, that discourse between the two sides? So I think Tom and uh, the front office, starting with uh, Jed and Carter, believe that he did a fantastic job because you're talking about a team that was 10 games under 500. Okay, at one point there were 12 games over 500. On September the 6th before they started their nosedive. A lot of, I think a lot of the discourse about him not being a good manager uh, began with the, uh, the injuries to Alzale and the bullpen yeah. and the deterioration of the bullpen and lose, starting to lose close games, okay? Uh, that not only was physically uh, debilitating, 
but it was mentally debilitating and a team that had built up a swagger about themselves, you know, moving forward toward the playoffs. So from the perspective of Tom and I think from uh, Hoyer and company, they felt, you know, him and the coaching staff did it, must have done a great job if they could get him from 10 games under 500 to 12 games over, you know, within a couple of months and, and look like a team that was building not only with uh, veterans that were there, but some young players were developing at the same time. And I think that's the the important thing, too, about David Ross was, I, 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 I don't know if fans want to hear it or, like, they even care about it, but, like, I think it is a, a real remarkable feat to go from 10 games under to 12 games over yeah. to even fin- to being in a playoff hunt. Like That's never remember, happened. Right, that's history, right, right. Yes. And, and, and there's something I remember Dexter Fowler talked about on this podcast where it's like, you can you you can start losing games really quickly, right? You can show up to the ballpark and you're five games under before you know it. You're 15, 20 under. Like that can happen very quickly on a, on a clubhouse, and it didn't happen to the Cubs, right? Like the whole time throughout. And I remember sitting through it, and you guys probably remember it too, like going through it where they're they're ten games under, or they're eight games under, and they're saying how good of a team this is, and and like like yeah, you want to hear that and you you want to think that, but. Sometimes your record, your record eventually one day speaks for itself. Well, they believed it, and David Ross came in with that mentality every day. Like, how many times did we see them have, like, a quote-unquote really, really bad loss, right, and come back the next day and play like, like nothing had happened? Right. It's, it's a, it's a, it was a testament to the mentality that David Ross brought. You have to remember that David Ross is, is a really uh, hard-nosed baseball man, okay? He's a great communicator. I think he's an outstanding leader of men. But uh, you saw in post games many times very short and quick answers to the point where his face turned red. Yeah. And you could see an explosion getting ready to take place because he was so upset as to some of those conclusions in games where they, they began, you know, the last three weeks to lose games late, okay? There was no bullpen to hold it up. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the last 10 days, two weeks, they started to make uh, physical and mental errors, okay, because the games were too tight. And they, it was just, uh, you know, what could go wrong did go wrong, and you saw Ross not being able to handle it. However, handle it personally. However, he handled it with people extremely well. With his players, he was very consistent. With the media, he was very consistent, okay. He, uh, he just did what a leader was supposed to do. But you could tell, I mean, look, I've known him, you know, since he was a player, you could tell he was boiling inside and ready to blow up and, you know, want to strangle somebody from time to time, just like, you know, everybody else in the fan base when mistakes are made. But um, kept his composure, I think learned an awful lot about adversity as a manager as opposed to a player. It's probably the first time he's had a serious adversity situation this year because he wasn't expected to win in 21 and 22 so uh, as he said to us during the end of the season, uh, you know, the last three days, yeah, I've learned uh, I've learned a lot about myself that hopefully I can use going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that competitiveness that you talk about, Bruce, that came out with the team. I feel like the team was an extension of their manager. The resiliency they showed to, like we said, claw back into it. And even, yeah, obviously the last couple of weeks didn't go the way that fans wanted, didn't go the way the team wanted. But they were still right in there in so many of the games, and they're more of victors or whatever else. But like, 
to your point, Andy, we never saw this team give up at any point. Right. Like that resiliency was there all the way down to the end, you know, even to dating back to their last win on Saturday. So I think that is absolutely a testament to Ross, to the culture he built, he has built. And I think the the multiple things that we heard from people like Jed Hoyer talking about, it's not just about in-game decisions. There's seven hours before first pitch where there's a hundred people, not really a hundred, but dozens of people that want your, your attention from the manager. And afterwards, you know, your multiple hours, you want to go over and there's a, dozens of people that want your attention and need your attention from trainers to players, to front office members, to media, to whatever else. I mean, he talked to the media somewhere between 400 and 500 times this year from spring training on, you know, different radio interviews, different marquee interviews, plus pre and post every day. And like you said, you know, to all of that, to like, to be willing to do that. And Jed said he saw the same guy all the time. He saw a guy who was even keeled throughout that process and is able to relate and be personal to players. Like that's what a manager really does too. Like in-game decisions, yes. But so many of those in-game decisions are also talked about with the front office before. Like, hey, we get into this situation, who are you using against this pocket of lineup? It's not just one person that makes all of these moves I, all the time. I will bring up one other thing, and that is David Ross is a guy of many talents, and he loves managing and being a baseball person. The question that has to be asked down the road is, will the Cubs get tired of him? and Will he not be the manager down the road? But you also have to ask, will David Ross get tired of managing? Right. Okay. Yeah. Will there be something else that he'll want to do? You know, will he want to spend more time with his family? Will he want to get back into media work and lighten the load? Uh, I think managing in the major leagues is uh, the toughest and worst job in the game. Uh, because the responsibilities there, if you're Dave Roberts in L.A., you get absolutely no credit for a team going to the playoffs uh, right now, 11 years in a row, under his watch, I think eight, okay, winning a World Series in 2020. And people still say, oh, well, you know, he's a metrics manager. They give him the lineup. He just puts it out there. He just keeps them rolling. Well, uh, it, it's a it's a lot more difficult than that. If it was that simple, everyone would have Dave right, Roberts right. and the Dodgers. So what I'm there. saying is, managing is a is a horrible job in baseball. You get very little credit for it. You don't get enough money. A couple million dollars a year is not enough for having to work the way that they do. Okay, uh, I'm saying, let's also kick the tires on the fact that. At some point, maybe David Ross wants to do something else. Well, and I mean, that's perfect. Like Joe Madden was so beloved for helping lead the Cubs to the World Series here for the first time in 108 years. Look at the way the fan base, you know, their their thoughts on him and their criticism of him grew over the last couple of years. And, you know, same with David Ross. Like he is, you know, one of the most beloved figures. He was carried off the field. Fans loved him. I mean, when has a backup catcher been that popular with a fan base to the point where he was on Dancing with the Stars, made this media career, yeah. and already so many Cubs fans are, are just – done with him. He's a great dancer. He could go into, uh, you know, singing and dancing. (laughs) But to to your guys' point, uh, Jed Hoyer brought this up uh, uh, at his end-of-season presser, which is very interesting. Terry Francona, right? Probably one of, if not the greatest managers of this generation. Probably Hall of Famer. He was getting criticized, like, left and right when he was in Boston, and and look what he's become. Like, uh, not comparing Ross to to Francona or anything, but like, just to say, like, there's always going to be criticism with that job, to, to your point. And, and no matter what he does, he's never going to make any every single right move. It's just impossible to do. Yeah, as you guys mentioned, Madden was criticized even after winning the World Series. Yeah, yep. yeah but he almost blew it. That's all you hear, yeah. okay? <laughs> but he yeah, but it. he overused Chapman. Yeah, but he micromanaged the, those last games, and it almost didn't work out. So, as you guys pointed to here, it's not always going to be uh, – 
a, a job where people feel like they're being appreciated. It doesn't happen that often. One guy I think the Cubs do appreciate a lot is Kyle Hendricks. What he has been able to endure, uh, a couple of inconsistent seasons, a really severe shoulder injury that kept him out of the last half of last season, first month or so of this season, came back and vintage Kyle Hendricks. That's what we saw all year. It was his fourth start that he was flirted with a perfect game and a no-hitter in San Francisco and was really consistent. I think that inconsistency that he had faced in 21-22 did not show itself at all. Cubs have a team option for next year. I'm curious what you guys think. Do you guys expecting Kyle Hendricks to be a part of the rotation in 24 or maybe in beyond? Andy, I'll start with you. I mean, I think yes. For Just to get out of the way, yes, that, that I expect him to be back. I thought Jed Hoyer's comments were really interesting where he said, we hope he's a Cub next year and beyond. Yeah. Right? Like To me, that makes me think, like, is there going to be some restructuring of a deal? Is there right. going to be a new deal maybe? like What's, what's going to happen? Because clearly the Cubs not only want him for next year, but they want him for the next few years. And if you can get it right, like if he's if he is what he was in 2023, that's a serviceable arm in the rotation for, for years to come. Yeah, I, you know, because he's not a, a power pitcher, I have more belief in Hendricks getting stronger, you know, building out of this year, coming back. Uh, there were, he was he was ticking at 90, 91 at some point toward the end of the year, something he never did even at his peak, you know, back in 15, 16, 17. So, you know, this guy could be the next Jamie Moyer, okay, where at age 35, he's just getting going again, okay, because uh, the pinpoint command, uh, the way he takes care of himself, uh, the way he's meticulous about preparing, uh, he might have three more years left in him. So I think when when the Cubs talk about, as you well pointed out, Andy, um, you know, this year and beyond, that that was a tell, and and that they might be thinking, you know what, $14 $14 million, not a lot for a rotation pitcher at this point. We're going to bring him back and we'll discuss. Let's uh, do a little bit more. I talked to Kyle Sunday night and I said, you know, do you want an extension? And I said, he said, I don't need an extension right now. Let's just, let's just bring me back for 14. I want to be back with the Cubs and uh, let, let me just build on what we were doing here and, and be a part of the rotation. I, I'm excited about being a Cub for the future. And it was a little bit different, like you said, than what Cody Bellinger said. I mean, Kyle laid his cards on the table. He loves being here. This is where he wants to be. If it doesn't work out, fine, whatever. But like he, he made it very clear that he would like to be back here. And I think it's a no-brainer, too, from the Cubs' perspective, of whether it's the option or an extension or whatever else. Because right now, what you, you have Justin Steele, for sure, guaranteed into a rotation spot. You have Jamison Tyone, Drew Smiley under contract. You figure they'll get rotation spots. But Smiley struggled, had to go to the bullpen anyway. Tyone had a very up-and-down season, finished on a high note. But, like, you need stable, consistent forces in the rotation. Hendricks proved that he is that. It seems pretty simple to bring him back, you know, pair maybe Jordan Wicks gets the last spot, Marcus Stroman, whatever it may be. But you, you want answers in the rotation going in next year. You need stability, and he provides that for sure. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back, we're going to hand out some of our 2023 awards, like Team MVP, Best Moment of the Year, and that kind of stuff. So stay tuned. We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. 
Why not bank with Chicago's bank too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hey everybody, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Tony joined by Andy and Bruce. And we're going to talk a little bit about 2023 awards. We're just going to reflect. These are some of the yearbook type awards, MVP, Cy Young, that kind of stuff. So let's start with MVP. Bruce, who do you have? Who is the Cubs 2023 MVP this season? Well, I'm going to go with Dansby Swanson uh, because what he supplied in the way of leadership, of stability at shortstop, allowing uh, Nico Horner, who was a top shortstop, to move to second base and solidifying the defense up the middle. Uh, even if he didn't hit 200, uh, I thought that he was gonna—he was a sensational player and leader, a stand-up guy, said all the right things, and uh, you never felt like you were being BS'd by the guy. Okay, uh, commanded uh, a lot of respect in the room, gave a lot of respect. Uh, uh, you know, took on this responsibility of being uh, coming over and leading the Cubs to World Championship to heart. So from, from the everyday perspective of uh, leadership and the ability to, to help the team build the confidence as a winner, uh, I think it's Swanson. I think that that's a really good point. And uh, I think back to at the trade deadline when uh, they were talking about breaking up the team and Dansby was in Jed's ear about can't break this up. They can't break this team up. And then Jed joked about it in his end of season presser, where he, he said that uh, they're going to build an office for Dansby between Carter yeah. and, their, and his office. Um, but then Dansby said he was he was out because he didn't want to wear khakis, which I just thought was a funny <laughs> anecdote. Yeah. Um, but my team MVP is Cody Bellinger. I, I think it was clear that as the offense went, or as Cody Bellinger went, the offense went. And their toughest stretch was in May was when when he was out injured and wasn't in the lineup. And then their last three weeks when they struggled, he wasn't performing to the same levels he had been performing earlier. Like, that offense went as he went. And as I mentioned, like, I think next year, like, he's he's such a crucial part if you can bring him back. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think Bellinger was for me uh, to get that kind of production in 130 games, you know, approaching 100 RBI, 100 runs, 20-plus stolen bases, uh, 26 homers, I think is what he ended up with, you know, over 300 batting average. Like, he was the one guy, I feel like, in the lineup all season long when he was in it that the other team had to focus on <clears throat> Excuse me, and game plan around. And when Saya got hot at the end of the year, then there was that too. But I feel like that trickle-down effect on the rest of the lineup was huge. And for me, he's my MVP as well. Uh, team Cy Young, 2023 Cy Young. I'll go with the easy one, Justin Steele. Uh, he was in the Cy Young race probably right up until the end. I thought it was just a tremendous development this year. So for me, it was an easy call. But, Bruce, who do you have? Well, you can't go away from Steele. Yeah. I mean, he was just uh, too good for too long. Uh, even started to build his innings toward the end of the year. In September, he threw uh, one game seven, the other eight innings. Yep. Uh, to me, that's that's a you know that's a stopper. He did you know slow down in the last couple of starts. It was a little rough for him, like a lot of other people. But uh, to me establishing himself as the ace of that staff uh, was huge, and he's got to be my pick. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great story for the Cubs' front office development where they can't develop pitching and they develop a Cy Young caliber pitcher. But just to differentiate it a little bit, but I, I think it's it's definitely deserving. Uh, my pick was Javier Assad. I mean, I think the, for him to start off in the bullpen, then go to rotation, then go back to the bullpen, and then like he, he did everything and was good in all those roles, right? Yeah. 309 ERA. 
in 109 innings doing whatever. Like when Marcus Stroman went down, he it was like, oh no, what's going to happen to the rotation? Javier Saad really filled that role right. seamlessly. Uh, he came in in leverage situations, did pretty well in leverage situations. Like I think that's just an interesting arm to have next year where you kind of have, again, some flexibility. Like you can you can stretch him out and have him start, or you can have him in the bullpen as a as a multi inning weapon. Like I I, I think he was a, a really valuable piece of the Cubs rotation. I think it's, Cubs I think it's a great point, and I think the the biggest problem they have is a good problem. That is, how do we use him next year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we just keep moving him up and back? That's really not something that you can have a plan with with a pitcher. Is he a starter, or is he that Swiss Army knife that, that you can use in so many different roles? Yeah, it's an interesting one, and to your point, a good problem to have, and I, I think, as David Rosk mentions with his relievers, he just wants out-getters, right? He wants guys that'll get out. I think Javier Assad's the perfect definition of that. Yeah, and he had a big year just in terms of, like, adding velocity and stuff, too, yeah. and starting with the World Baseball Classic, pitching in, in some bigger moments, some bigger international moments, obviously, and then bigger moments in the regular season, I think was all very impactful for him. Uh, rookie of the Year, Cubs 2023 Rookie of the Year. I know we were talking before the podcast. I don't know. Did you go end up going with Assad for yeah, this I'm as gonna well? Yeah, I'm going to go with Assad okay. just because he's still under rookie status. Like he's, I know he came up last year, but his rookie status was intact through this year. So, so to me, that was the, the no-brainer in terms of Rookie of the Year. I'm going to go with the end of the year in Wicks. Okay, That's a good one. I think he's, uh, he's a really strong candidate to be a uh, top-of-the-rotation pitcher going forward. Um, is he... Is he your left-handed version of Kyle Hendricks going forward, okay? He seems to pitch very similarly to him. Uh, he seems to have ice water in his veins. I think the one thing that impressed me the most about him was the fact that whether he got beat around or he dominated, he was the same guy, okay? You couldn't tell externally that anything was going wrong or right. Uh, the one start he had against Arizona in Arizona where they beat him up in the first and second inning, and he came out and he threw a clean third and fourth inning. That was tremendously impressive to me because it, 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 did, it, it didn't make him go to the bullpen right away. He had to go in the fifth, but again, uh, the composure for a rookie to be able to go back and put up zeros, uh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, for me, I'm, I thought about Wicks a lot. Um, I'm going to go with Miguel Amaya. I just thought that his development he was a guy that was out in the 40-man roster but you know with injuries the last few years nobody really knew what to expect and I think Jed admitted as well like he wasn't anticipating Miguel Amaya being here and producing like he did and uh you know essentially on the roster from was early May or whatever all the way through the rest of the year and to to do that to get the respect from the pitching staff to work with Kyle Hendricks right away and as Hendricks is calling the game and that San Francisco start Miguel Amaya is back there catching and you know Hendricks is calling on pitch common all of that stuff, and then to show well offensively, like he he showed some pop, he showed an ability to get on base, he showed he teased the potential that we had seen for a very long time, yeah. and it's like all of a sudden the Cubs catching future looks a lot brighter than I think it did in April or before that. So I think for for me, like that was a really really important development this year. I, I think it's a great pick, and and I think people should pay attention to the fact that next year you might see a, a healthier guy because uh, I. I but by watching him throw, I don't think he, he was able to throw uh, the way that he needs to to be an everyday catcher. But he was coming back from traumatic arm problems over his career. I think that arm will get stronger, and I think working with the staff uh, that they'll, they'll be able to throw out more runners with him behind the plate. For sure. 
All right, let's move on to best moment of the season. Andy, we'll start with you. What What did you feel like was the best moment of the Cubs 2023 season? I think for me it was the Mike Talkman catch in St. Louis. I remember being there. I, I it's uh, I'll tell the story, but like the the ball's hit by I believe it was Brendan Donovan or no Alec Burleson. It was Alec Burleson yeah. hits that ball, and I remember from my angle in the vantage point in, in Bush Stadium, the press box is pretty high. I see it. I'm like, okay, that's a routine fly ball to center field. I start writing out my tweet, Cubs win 3-2. What I, I can't remember the exact score, but Cubs win. Um, they're like Whatever their winning streak was, whatever. Like I'm writing out that tweet, and then I see Mike Talkman just keep running back. And I'm like, oh, I, I think this is going to be closer. And then I deleted the tweet as the ball is still in the air because I'm like, oh, like that's I think that's a home run. So I delete the tweet, or I delete the, the text. I didn't hit 10. And then Mike Talkman jumps up, and I'm like, oh, my God, he just hit that. And then he catches the ball. And my initial reaction was, oh, he dropped it out of his glove. Because the way his glove moved, it looked like the ball had fallen out of his glove. And I said, oh, my God, he just blew it. Uh, like, he just dropped it. And then he comes up, and he's fist bumping and celebrating. And I'm like, oh, no, he caught that. And it was a really big win for the Cubs. And Jed Hoyer at the trade deadline mentioned, like, that was one of those moments where you think, like, this is this team has the special, like, that it factor, that, that special moment to, to be able to do something. That was a really, really, sp- like, fun moment, really cool moment to, to witness live. Thanks for taking all my fun. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Andy, <laughs> okay? There's no reason for me to tell you anything else other than uh, not only did that establish uh, the, the highlight of the season, but it also established Talkman as, uh, at the very least, uh, an important footnote in this year and in history for the Cubs as you look back to great moments that's going to be considered one of them and I mean it established the Cubs as buyers right like yeah. that moment was one thing that Jed Hoyer even pointed to as like okay like we need to go out and add and supplement to this team so yeah absolutely an incredible moment for me I'm going to go with the Christopher Christopher Morrell walk off yeah. at Wrigley over the White Sox I mean I remember like um you know getting over COVID actually at the time like watching that like it was crazy to just see, watch on TV and experience everything as it was happening. Uh, and it was incredible game. I mean, the Cubs were losing and everybody was like, oh, how can they lose to the White Sox who had just sold off and like crosstown uh, rivalry and, and you know, all the, the pride at stake was such a big deal. And then all of a sudden like Nick Madrigal homers and then you, you just kind of felt it, right? Like, was it Bellinger doubled and then Swanson walked and then Morrell comes up? There's, to me, just watching it, there, there felt like there was something. And you guys were there, so I'm sure you guys can attest to it a little bit more. But, like, then he hits it. As soon as he hit it, I was like, oh, my God, the Cubs just walked it off. And, like, his celebration was one of the more epic celebrations we'll ever see. It was, like, this chill-inducing moment that because – it, all of Chicago was watching because it was the White Sox as well. It was a pretty epic moment. And to me, it, it's a little sad that like it's not a moment that ended up leading to playoffs or anything because those are the things that you feel like seasons are defined by. The Mike Talkman catches and the Morell comeback and walk off. You feel like those are defined as they, they build a special season that goes to the playoffs. And, and to be fair, I know it's not on your list, Tony, but we all know what the worst moment was. Okay, It happened when uh, Suzuki certainly... Miss the ball, yeah. okay? And that shouldn't diminish the way that people look at Suzuki's year or his part of what he was to this team because he was one of the great stories of this year after being benched in July to come back and be a, a guy that was one of the best hitters in, uh, in the National League and uh, to help win important games. So you hope that moment 
doesn't stick out for other people because he established himself not only as an important guy in the team this year, but also a guy going forward with a, a few more years on a contract. Yeah, that's actually something I was thinking about as we were talking about most important on-field development. I was actually thinking about Say as well because there was the time in, in early August, right after they acquired Jamer Candelario, that's like, Say it was on the bench against righties for a good week to 10 days. He started against lefties, and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, what is Seiya Suzuki's future here? And, like, you didn't know. It, it was a temporary benching, but then it lingered for a little bit. He had not produced for two full months prior to that. We had seen really nothing but inconsistency so far in his Cubs tenure. Well, he's under contract for three more years, you know, after this. Like, what happens? And him having the August and September, and then even after that moment to rebound really well and have, you know, the next four or five at-bats were tough, but then he was an offensive force again in the games after. I think that was really important. For me, though, that the what I felt like was the pitching was the most important on-field development was Steele's ascension to be an ace. I feel like you need an ace if you're going to right. be a legitimate contender. You absolutely need that. And I feel like you also need a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who, as we talked about, I think we all expect him back in some capacity. But that was a big question mark. What would Kyle Hendricks provide this year? What would, would the Cubs even want to try to extend him or bring him back next year? And he proved that very easily that like yes you need to bring him back he is a part of this team so i think those were two supremely important developments on the team this year was seeing these guys rise because that's going to pay off i think really big next year so i i had two i'd steal so that was big to your point yeah. too like going into the season it's like who's this team's ace right and and i know marcus stroman's starting opening day but even going into the season you're like what what are you going to really get out of marcus stroman you didn't know for the first few months, it was, it was great, right? But Steele was clearly, you know, the Cy Young candidate to the end. I thought that was that was the big story. Um, the other one too was Nick Madrigal playing third base. I, I like, and I've said I feel like a broken record coming on the podcast and saying like Nick Madrigal at third base, but it was uh, really a, a testament to their their the Cubs coaching and Nick Madrigal himself to like it, to at at CubsCon to say like Nick Madrigal is going to be a third baseman. Like it was almost unbelievable when you hear that, and then he comes out. Not only was he a solid third baseman, he was one of the best defensive third basemen in baseball. Like to me, I, that to me is one of the, the better development. And I think if you're like a, a fan watching, and you look at maybe like Christopher Morrell, it's like what what position can he play? Right, you say second base, center field, third. But like you throw out all these positions, what can he play? Well, like now you have some proof of concept with with Nick Madrigal that like okay, if you work out it in the offseason, like the Cubs have done the coaching that maybe you can get Christopher Morrell in a, in one position and, and you can solidify maybe a hole on the team. Yeah, you, you can. And uh, it's sad about Madrigal continuing to have the same problems with his legs. Yep. Okay, yeah. uh, it, it, it really puts a damper on what was a great story, as you pointed out, him really stepping it up. But the, the, one, the one area that we missed out about, which was, was so essential, was for so long, uh, from spring training on, we, nobody talked about who was going to be the closer on mm -hmm. this team. Yeah. And, and Al Zalei has to get a lot of kudos for being the guy to step up and somebody that in the offseason here, if they do add to the bullpen uh, via trade or free agency, they, they have a very solid piece in Alzale going forward. We're hoping that he's going to be okay, okay? He, his, his elbow forearm was uh, inflamed at the end of the year and you hope that's going to be all right with rest. But uh, I thought that was a terrific story of him not only uh, taking that position, but standing up and being the man out there. Yeah, and I think the celebrations after, like, that was a huge part of it because that's what fans at Wrigley want to see. They want to see a closure come in with some cool, you know, walk-out walk music, 
I guess it'd be walkout walk music, walk-in music, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, like an awesome celebration and like the emotion that he showed. I, guys were joking that it would take two hours after he was <laughs> done before he can calm down. So I thought that was really cool, absolutely. Um, most impactful roster move this season. I, I mean, Bellinger, I think, is, is a layup. If you guys have, do either of you guys have Bellinger as the most impactful roster move? No, to me, it, it's definitely Dansby Swanson. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 and again, solidifying defense, it's not sexy. People are not really excited about hearing about defense, but the, the, the keynote for the season was defense and pitching, pitching and defense. And to solidify not only shortstop, but making, taking a, an outstanding shortstop, making your second baseman, having Bellinger uh, in center, having uh, Gomes step up and be the man behind the plate where we didn't even talk about what yeah. a huge contribution. To me, Swanson is the guy that they're building around and will continue to build around for the next six years. My most impactful, it's, it was probably like under the radar. Like, I don't know, like it's so under the radar, I don't even remember like exactly when it happened, but getting Mike Talkman on a minor league deal, clearly he, he, was, he, was, he kind of changed the lineup. I think my biggest what if of the 2023 season is like what if he had been on the roster since opening day like what how does how do things transpire what kind of happens we'll never know but uh, I, I think that was yeah, yes like the Bellinger and the Swanson were like really really like big signings but I think Mike Talkman was such an underrated signing and, and really lengthened the the Cubs lineup yeah I mean I I wanted to go a little bit um off the beaten path too, under the radar. But I thought Julian Merriweather, like a waiver claim on him, yeah, that was a, a bullpen. One. You know, Bruce, you mentioned like there were so many question marks in this bullpen going in. Julian Merriweather was one as well. He had never stayed healthy in his career, had shown elite stuff, but he was the guy from wire to wire. He was the one guy in the bullpen that was down there because Mark Leiter Jr. never went on the IL, but you know was down for a week or two here or there towards the end of the season. Like Merriweather was the guy in high leverage moments pretty much from day one. So I think that was a super impactful development, a guy under contract next year, too. And, and I will say, too, remember, like, he had a lot of struggles in that first month. Like, he had, like, yeah. his first few outings, he had, like, a right. nine-something ERA, and it was like, ooh, like, maybe this wasn't that great of a waiver claim. And by the end of the season, you're like, yep. what a great, what a great claim. Yep, for sure. All right, last thing here. Biggest surprise of 2023. Andy, let's start with you. What do you got? So I... I had two. I thought Hendricks and Steele were, were, were it. But I thought the, the, the biggest one for me was Deion Gomes. Think, there was a lot of, like, think back to a year ago, right, right. where we were a year ago to, uh, from, from now. It was like, are the Cubs going to bring back Wilson Contreras? And if not, like, how do you, how do you solve the catching issue? And it was kind of like, well, like, what, what is your catching situation if you don't have, have Wilson Contreras? And I, I think, like, probably from almost day one, well, Wilson Contreras, outside of the one he came to Chicago, wasn't really thought about. Like it was like Jan Gomes took that position, ran with it, and he was great defensively. He was great as a game caller, and he had. It seemed like every other day, it seemed he would have a big hit for this team. I know you. I know you joked about how we hadn't gotten to him yet, but I thought that to me was the, the the biggest surprise of the year. Like you went in with so many questions about about the catching position, and with couple that with the Miguel Amaya, you go into 2024, if you're a Cubs fan, you feel pretty good about, about the backstop position. I thought it was uh, Tachman uh, leading off, okay? Uh, he set the tone for the offense uh, when it took off. Um, every game, it reminded me a lot of when Dexter Fowler was on the team and uh, back in 15 and 16, and you would see him take seven, eight, nine pitches, start, a, a, start in a bat 0-1 or 0-2 and work it up to, so where that 
beginning of the game, everybody on that bench, the batters that were coming up, they all got to see what the guy had already, and the guy was already getting frustrated throwing too many pitches. I thought he was just terrific uh, taking pitches, uh, getting valuable hits, and uh, just just showing a lot of uh, calm and collectiveness for a guy that had never been the man to lead off an order. I, I thought that was huge for them. Yeah, calm, I think, is the best word to describe it. Like every at-bat you saw from him was calm, regardless of whether he's facing a tough lefty, game on the line, whatever it may be. For me, I'm going to go uh, a little bit different, where I thought Keegan Thompson and Hayden Wesneski were a big surprise in the fact that they turned out to not be essentially impactful arms at all this season. And Wesneski won the fifth starter spot with a brilliant spring, and Keegan Thompson was one of the better relievers uh, and a weapon out of the Cubs bullpen the last couple of years, a multi-inning weapon, a guy that we, Andy, we, we were talking like maybe he's in the ninth inning picture on some days, especially if you need a multi-inning save. But... He was a guy that had started for the team in the past and so on. And by the end of it, Thompson was spent most of the year in the minor leagues, struggled with control. Even when he was called back up in September, he didn't end up pitching uh, the last time that he was called back and ended up being optioned down. Like He just was not a factor all season after some early struggles, especially after that Astros start. Uh, outing, sorry. And then Wesneski, you know, he started as a starter, went down in the minors for a bit, came up as a reliever, pitched mostly in low leverage. But to me, it was like those guys, and I thought there was like this wave of pitching that was coming up. Outside of Jordan Wicks, we didn't really see that this year from these guys. One thing before we're over with, I want to say, is that the front office deserves an awful lot of credit. By that, I mean they made mistakes like every front office did. They made a mistake on Hosmer. They made a mistake on Mancini. They made a mistake on Barnard. They owed Mancini and Barnard money beyond this year, yet they were not afraid to make the big move and say, you know what, we're trying to win. Uh, as much as we like these guys, they were all pros, we're not going to stick around and watch them just not get the job done. So kudos to them for making the move and then also making the hard move by releasing them and finding better people for those spots. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know the Mancini signing – I think we all thought was going to be something that he would be a middle of the order at bat or maybe hit six or whatever in the order for them all year and just didn't work out. But um, definitely see where the Cubs front office was coming from on those moves. And like you said, Bruce, I think that was also an indicator that like this team is ready to win and, and push their chips in. And they did some of those moves, you know, even leading up to, to uh, the deadline as well. So uh, it was a really interesting, fun season. Like we said, we're really curious to see what this offseason holds and what 2024 holds for Cubs fans. So thank you, as always, for tuning in, for watching us. As always, we are sponsored by Wintrust. Head to the Marquee Sports Network app or YouTube to catch us in video form or download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For Bruce and Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks again.